Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're beginning a brand new series called Making the Most of Your Salvation. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Knowing Your Election. I have a smartphone. I use it to answer my phone and to make phone calls, and I've learned to text, and I think by now, I text more than I actually talk on that thing. Seems silly to text when you can talk directly to someone, but I guess that's what everyone does now, so that's what I'm doing. I answer my emails on my phone, and I have a really neat appointment calendar on my phone, and it often signals me sometime before an appointment, so I'm not going to be late, and My phone also stores phone numbers, so if you're on my phone book, I can simply call you by calling up your name, and the phone is just going to dial it for me. And furthermore, on really odd occasions, I'll take a picture on my phone, so I can send that picture to you on your phone, but I don't really know why I want to do that, and I don't do it often, although sometimes I guess it's a really great feature. And, And apart from that, I store music on my phone, and I can listen to that and to the occasional podcast. I like that. I have a GPS on my phone, which I actually don't use a lot, and there's something on both my phone and computer, and it's called a Dropbox, and I really don't know what that is, and I don't know why you'd want to drop stuff off all the time, and, you know, here at work, I sometimes get a notice that someone has made changes to my Dropbox, and I have no idea what they've done, and and if you think my Dropbox should be changed, well, and if it isn't good enough the way it's been, I, I don't know, but... You know, if you feel better having changed it, I'm happy you feel better now. I have books on my phone, and I don't read many books that way. I have a number of Bible translations there, and and if I want to check out what another translation says, it, it is kind of handy. You know, I looked up a website the other day, and it was entitled, The 21 Most Used Mobile Apps. And I took that to mean those apps that people have all on their phone. And I found I only have five of the 21. So here's a partial list of the things I've never done on my phone. I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. I don't have Pinterest or Netflix. You know, to my everlasting shame, I don't Twitter. I know, I know I'm a terrible sinner, but, but I do WhatsApp with my family, and I, and I love that. I've learned to Zoom, and I do that with a number of different people, and it's still a mystery to me how I ever get on, but I, I seem to manage it. But I take some sadistic pride in having learned that Snapchat has worldwide 173 million users a day. I said to myself, I'm in the majority when I don't use it. It has occurred to me that I'm a bit of a techno idiot. Almost everyone I know outside of my mother-in-law knows more about the computer technology than I do, which includes, you know, my neighbors, my church family, my work colleagues, my wife, my kids, even my grandkids. You know, there are so many benefits that I could be using in the electronic world that I'm simply not using to my advantage. They're all mine already. Why not learn them and use them? And slowly, I guess... I'm learning, and it is really exciting. You know, it's occurred to me that some of us are like that regarding our own salvation. We got saved. We understood that Jesus died for our sins. We, we knew we needed to repent and believe, and so we did. We go to church, and we try to learn the Bible. We know we're going to heaven when we die, and we are. But apart from that, many of us have no idea 
as to what their salvation will do for them. And that's a terrible shame. There are so many wonderful benefits to your salvation, and they would revolutionize your life. And so would you join me for two weeks as we learn how to make the most of your salvation? And might I add, if you're not a believer, could I encourage you to listen up, especially you? See, let me give you an example. Whenever someone tells me of a new app on my phone or on my computer, it's like saying, wow, you know, that's really cool. I could use that. I want you to have that kind of an insight as to the benefit to your Christian faith. See, if you're not a Christian, consider the benefit that could have been yours. And if you're a Christian, consider what's available to you right now and start to access that. So where do we start? See, the first program or the first app, let me say, that I want you to access, it's called election. Now, before I explain that or talk about the great blessings that are associated with election, let's just read a couple of scriptures and let's just soak it up. Ephesians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace." You know, sometimes when we read a passage like that, we've got to get the he's and the him's straightened out. So let's try again. Blessed be God the Father, for he chose us to be his own even before the world's foundations were laid. And furthermore, way back then, God the Father had already decided that we who now believe in him, way back then before we had come to exist, he had already decided that we would be holy and blameless in his presence. Out of his great love for us, that is us, who had not yet come into existence, and yet still, out of his love for us, he predestined us to be adopted into his family, and he accomplished this in the fullness of time through Jesus our Messiah. But the Father, that is, before time began, had already decided to accomplish this purpose in us for the sake of his glory. That's a very precious thought. Before you existed, the Father had already decided to both create you and then also to redeem you, you who now have come to believe in him. Now, as we're absorbing that thought, let me take you a few verses later down to verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now there's another mouthful, and we need to take that in as well. The same God who chose us before the foundation of the world has also determined that we should receive an eternal inheritance because he has predestined this matter in accordance with his eternal wisdom and the counsel of his will. Well, as you probably know, it's not only in the book of Ephesians that speaks this way. It's in the book of Acts as well. Luke is recording how it is that the gospel is progressing, reaching ever more people. And so Acts 13 verse 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. How many believed? Well, all those who were appointed to eternal life believed. After all, they'd been chosen before the foundations of the world. Or 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4 says, 
For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And by the way, that language in 1 Thessalonians, well, when we hear it, we're reminded of very similar language that Jesus used with his own disciples. That's recorded in John 15, verse 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And by the way, Jesus repeats something very similar three verses later in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why aren't you a part of this world? Jesus says, because I selected you, I elected you, I chose you. And just in case you're tempted to say, well now, that's only about the choosing of the 12, or I guess the 11, well now, in 1 Thessalonians, remember, Paul deliberately uses the same language that Jesus applied to the 12, and he applies that language to all the people of God when he says, for we know brothers who are loved by God, he has chosen you. You might want to consider Paul's words in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, where Paul speaks of the God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, we hearken back to God's grace given to his own before the world came to be. Or we could go to 1 Peter 1 verse 1, where Peter calls God's people God's elect or elected of God. And for that matter, go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 13, verse 8, which is a description of the power of the Antichrist. They're called the beast. And verse 8 says of the beast and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. That is the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who is slain. I could go on. You know, I never did go to Romans 9 or a number of other passages, but by now it should be abundantly plain that for everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and who walks in the path of holiness, they do so because of the first action of God, which he accomplished before the world came to be. How well now. This is true of our salvation. So let's stop for a moment and ask, is this just a philosophical or theological truth? Does it matter practically? Well, stay with me and I'll explain why it does. Your prayers and financial contributions are critical to our ministry. Back to the Bible Canada is funded solely by donations from people like you, our listeners. A critical group that sustains our Bible teaching program is our monthly partners. These friends of the ministry provide a stable foundation of support. So we thank them and present you the opportunity to join them today. Our monthly partner program called the 1119 Fellowship helps ensure that trustworthy teaching is available throughout Canada in creative ways so that the gospel is easily found and heard by anyone seeking it. By belonging to the 1119 Fellowship, you become part of a nationwide community committed to sharing trustworthy Bible teaching, ensuring that truth, wisdom, joy, and hope can be found for anyone searching for God. To learn more about the program and the unique benefits of becoming a member, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship. (laughs) 
I want to give three important reasons why the truth of election is so valuable for our faith. Here's the first reason. It, it gives us a deep confidence and a security that we eternally belong to the Lord. I mean, consider the very well-known promise in Romans 8:28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, before I get into the details of that amazing promise, I know that this matter of being assured that we've been called according to God's purpose, well, that does cause some people to fear. I mean, what if God didn't eternally call me? You know, to that concern, I give a number of answers. First and foremost, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we're not asked to secure our salvation by, by getting insight into what has occurred in the secret eternal counsels of God. See, there are things we know because God in his wisdom has chosen to reveal them to us, and there are other things that God in wisdom has withheld from us. You know, as Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and the things revealed belong to us and to our children. And God has not revealed to us how his eternal election works. You don't learn whether or not you're saved by speculating as to whether he has eternally chosen you. You learn as to whether or not you are saved by whether or not you've called upon the Lord. Have you repented of your sins? Have you acknowledged that Jesus Christ is both Lord and God and that he has died on the cross for your sins? Have you humbled yourself before him and given the keys of your life into his hands? And have you said, not my will, but yours be done? And then in that, have surrendered your life into his hands. You see, if you have, then hear again the words of Scripture. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But while you revel in that assurance, you need also to revel in the words of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That is, there's something of a profound mystery in your surrender to Jesus. You, a sinner and a hater of God, have called Jesus Lord and are now a part of his family. That came because of an action of the Holy Spirit to enliven your heart and to pay attention to the good news and then to welcome that into your life. Now, let me get back to that deep confidence in our salvation and in the words that come from Romans 8:28. For those who call Jesus Lord and God, on the basis of that, they know with absolute certainty that before eternal ages began, God had already elected them unto his glory and grace, and that right now, he is so arranging everything they will ever encounter for their long-term good. You see, it doesn't matter if that experience is one of getting a job that pays you a half a million dollars a year, or if that experience is to walk through poverty and great hardship. Each experience of the elect has been before eternal ages designed with great care and great wisdom and tailor-made exactly for them, so that in the age to come, this experience they are now having will contribute to their eternal well-being. That's what the doctrine of election teaches us. It gives us confidence. It allows the elect to face the future or to face the present with an attitude of courage and hope. They can learn to thank God in all circumstances, knowing that all circumstances have been meticulously arranged just for them. Why is there so much anxiety in the life of so many believers? See, much like that piece of software that could be available to you on your computer, the one that you don't know about and could benefit you 
so also believers who are ignorant of their election encounter the daily experience of life not knowing what it's for and not knowing how God is involved in it. But once we learn this and drink deeply of this biblical truth, all of life is transformed. Well, now that's an amazing benefit in discovering our election. Well, is there anything else to be learned? Well, here's a second lesson. It enlivens our worship. Look again at Ephesians 1, 5 to 6, which says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Or go back again to the Thessalonian passage I quoted earlier. You know, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 began by saying, We give thanks to God always for all of you. And then down to verse 4, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. See, I love thinking about all the people I know who love God. And then I revel in the fact that they have been chosen by God, chosen as an object of his eternal love. See, how is it then that I can ever look at my own salvation with, without overflowing in gratefulness? I need to enter more deeply in the truth that it was not I who chose God, but that it was he who first had mercy on me. You know, he looked in love on this rebel and then gave this rebel what he needed most. Not wrath, not justice, but grace. See, the doctrine of election should make us finally and utterly abandon any pride for our own salvation. For we have contributed nothing to our salvation, and he has contributed the best that heaven can give, the Son of God. How, when we think more deeply of this, do we utterly loathe all pride and boasting in anything, and rather find joy in worship of God in everything? Let's never take credit for anything in our salvation. I only chose God because he had mercy on my sinful power of choice. I chose God because of the Holy Spirit. I chose God because in eternal ages past, he had chosen me. I give no thanks to myself. All thanks is rightfully owed to him. Worship begins to flow out of me. You know, there's one more positive benefit from our salvation, and this one might surprise you, but hang on. I think learning more about the doctrine of election can teach us to be far more bold and confident in sharing our faith with others. See, how many of us are afraid to share our faith in fear that someone might reject us or that we might not be effective and and how we hate being failures? And yet there's something about God's election that actually frees us to share our faith more boldly. Acts 18 contains the story of the Apostle Paul's first coming to the largest city of Greece, which was the city of Corinth. You know, prior to this, Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi. He had seen a riot ensue in the city of Thessalonica. And he had been made a persona non grata in that city and never allowed to go back. He had seen mobs follow him to the city of Berea. He had been mocked by the philosophers in Athens. And he arrived in Corinth. And one might wonder whether his confidence in his ministry had been badly shaken. I mean, perhaps he was a tad gun shy, a little more than timid in his proclamation. Instead, Luke tells us what happened next. I'm reading Acts 18, verse 9 and 10. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And just so that we're clear here, when the New Testament uses the word Lord, it always uses that word as a direct reference to Jesus. 
Jesus came to Paul while he was in Corinth, and he told Paul, I have many in this city who are my people. They belong to me. It's a curious thing to say because the gospel up until then had never been heard in that city. But Jesus had already claimed a great many as his own. And that does fit very well in what we've earlier learned about election. And here then is my thought. Jesus has determined to claim men and women from every race and tribe and people and language group of the earth. His people will be a harvest taken from the earth. And the reason for our confidence is that we know this is his will. And we also know that according to the doctrine of election, he will not fail in his endeavor. We also know that he has appointed a means. That is, he has told us how he's going to accomplish this gathering of the elect. It's going to happen through the preaching of the gospel. It's going to happen as men and women and boys and girls share the good news. The words of the evangelists will bear fruit, and that's the word. I hope I've given you the impression that the the doctrine of election is not fatalistic, nor does it call us to inaction. The doctrine of election isn't simply theoretical or philosophical, fit only for the ivory halls of academia. Rather, this is something that the deeper you dig into it will give you more confidence, regardless of what you go through, and give you a cause for worship and also create a courage in you to share your faith boldly. So let's thank God that he entered into a voting booth. And before eternal ages began, he chose us to be his own. If you're not a believer, but you're hearing this and you're feeling drawn by God, oh my, do you know what's happening to you? Come to Christ today. John, thanks so much. We're looking forward to a great series. One question I have to ask right off the bat will likely be one we'll receive from others. It's about election. Does election mean evangelism isn't necessary? (laughs) Yeah, election, you know, God has chosen, so that's the language of election, God has chosen that it is through the folly of preaching, as Paul says in Romans, through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. In fact, election does not take away from free will. It does not take away from the mandate of preaching the gospel or being persuasive or answering the hard questions that people ask. All of these uh, God has uh, foreordained that we should do. So um, let's never use election as a doctrine of doing nothing. That's not why it was given or for what it's intended. Thanks, John. That really helps. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This past year, I've taken the opportunity to author a new book entitled Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, in this day and age, I can't imagine a more important topic as it provides insight into the essential benefits of your salvation and in so doing provides a message of hope and joy so needed in challenging days. I think it's true to say that many of us walk through our daily journey with Christ uncertain of really all that he's done for us through his death and resurrection. You know, we question and we struggle because we don't understand the breadth of what Jesus has provided for his people. Ten key benefits I'll share, including our adoption, the Holy Spirit, and our assurance. I want you to know all that your salvation provides. So for the month of February, Back to the Bible Canada is offering to send you my new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation, for free, just for asking. 
So request your copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.